0: Today, I want to talk about a subject I've been writing about for a very long, long time. In fact, I wrote research papers about it in college and have been thinking about it pretty much my whole life. But as life went on and as I gained more experience and stability, I actually found myself thinking about it less and less, but recently it's been on my mind again. What do you think I'm talking about? I'm talking about identity. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to the Same Human Being podcast. This podcast is about life, love, and the journey to becoming more human. My name is Leslie, and I'm a designer, artist, martial artist, and as of 2014, a creative entrepreneur. I've taken a very circuitous path to be here. and probably a lot like your life, mine's had its fair share of ups and downs. There has been so much to learn and so many things to heal from. The title of this podcast is inspired by the Dalai Lama, who explains that all of us beings on this earth are connected, and in essence, we are the same human being. No one's joy or sorrow is separate from our own. And the way I interpret this is that we all deserve to treat ourselves, others, and our environment with kindness, dignity, and compassion. This podcast is a place where I share some of the lessons I've learned from life that have been the most helpful to my journey, and I just really hope they're helpful to you too. So yeah, back to our topic for today. Who are you? take a moment to think about that. If I were meeting someone new, I might start by giving them some obvious clues. I'd say, I'm an artist, a graphic designer, a creative entrepreneur. Or I could give them descriptors of my family's heritage or where I was born. For example, I'm a Korean American from Los Angeles. My ancestors are from North Korea. I might tell them about things I enjoy, like rock climbing, swimming, drawing, listening to music. And if I wanted to get really deep and personal, I guess I could tell them about the type of person I either perceive myself to be or have been told I am. I'm hardworking, I'm compassionate, a good friend, I would like to think. But I just don't think any of these definitions, or even any combination of them, really has the ability to define who we truly are. I actually don't believe that language at all can define our true identities. The way I see it, your identity is like this fluid, iridescent, shapeless goop that you can hold in one hand and you can let it fall through your fingertips and catch it with your other hand. You can tell it to become a solid, and it will, and sometimes it will become illuminated and shine without your permission at all. Most of the time, we fail to see ourselves in this free and fluid and luminescent state. We are told from early ages to define ourselves into categories based on our appearance, place of birth, and genetic luck of the draw. We check off the boxes that most closely apply to our situation, but never fully. And group ourselves in with others in similar categories. It's not ideal, but you can't blame society for operating that way. It comes naturally to us. Humans are really great at making groups and categories and sticking to them. It's what we evolved to do and it helped us immensely out in the wild. And Even though our living circumstances have changed unimaginably, we are still, for the most part, ancient and wild human beings with ancient and wild instincts and behavioral patterns. So what happens when we live in huge connected societies like the ones we live in today? I think we start to let those categories define us. Instead of remembering that our identities extend so far beyond anything that can be checked off in a box, we start to live in ways that we think people in our categories should live. We don't allow ourselves to cross certain boundaries because people like us aren't supposed to. As infants and very small children, I doubt that we worry too much about our identities at all. We're too busy exploring the world and asking for our most basic needs to be met. It's really only until we meet our peers and we're asked to categorize ourselves that we think at all to compare ourselves to others around us who are kind of the same but also different in subtle ways. As we get older, we start to want things that we don't have Not because they're basic necessities, but because we see that other people have them, and we don't, and we think that we might want them. In today's society, I don't know if it's possible to go through life without having some kind of identity crisis. Our world just isn't designed to allow us to fully apply ourselves enough to realize our potential. And here's an important thing I learned over time. True identity comes from realizing our potential, not some amalgamation of genetic and luck-based characteristics that define our appearance and biological makeup. Though those aspects should be realized and integrated. In cultures past, adolescents were tested and initiated into adulthood. We may think of these practices now as old and outdated rituals that no longer serve a purpose, but I think they're pretty important. I mean, there's a reason why so many cultures had this practice. There's a barrier that needs to be broken, a river that must be crossed, a new level that must be reached in order to attain the status of a functioning, useful adult human being. And our ancestors knew this. They knew this really well. Pretty much every culture all around the globe will have some kind of of coming-of-age rituals that both test and celebrate and initiates entry into adulthood. A lot of times, this involves some kind of self-discovery by way of overcoming physical suffering. I think there's something ancient, outdated, but also very wise in these practices. I want to take a minute to reflect on this idea of self-discovery as an initiation to functioning adulthood in my own life. I really struggled with finding identity when I was young, especially during my adolescent years. I'm sure a lot of you have too. I never really knew where I fit in, and most of the time, I just felt like I didn't fit in at all. I would say really awkward things that were either conversation enders or I would offend someone and not know it. As I got a little older and went to college, I started drinking as a way to get along with people. And yeah, I certainly made friends that way, but it was only a certain kind of friend. And in the end, I just wasn't happy with the party-only relationships we had. I didn't know what was missing, or even what I wanted, but I knew I wanted more out of my relationships with other people. I guess I wanted real connection, and I just wasn't finding it with those guys. I was a biology major at the time, and didn't really know my path forward. My mom had convinced me to change my major from a philosophy and linguistics double major to biology. Science, she said, is where the money is at. I desperately wanted to be an artist or a writer or do something creative, but I'd kind of been deterred from doing that pretty much my whole life. So I saw that my mom had a point, you know, we do need to make money, I suppose, and not really understanding the importance of choosing a path that I'm passionate about for the future I transferred my major before my classes even started. I didn't know what kind of professions were out there in biology, and I didn't know if I ever even realistically thought about what that day-to-day life would be like. I would later learn the hard way that I just hated lab work, and although I thought research was really interesting, it would probably be years and years before I could research something that I wanted to, My mom really pushed for me to become a physician's assistant so I could work in hospitals and help people. And I'm sure that would have been a fine job to have, but that way just wasn't for me. I became unhappy with my studies, as well as with my friends. So I threw myself into extracurricular activities like martial arts. I was kind of a fanatic about martial arts. I was a huge geek. But it's where I learned some very important philosophies and ways of thinking about life, death, and living on the razor's edge in between. So being 19 years old and having read probably too much existentialist literature, I had a brilliant idea. What if I took away everything that was familiar to me? Friends, family, place, and went somewhere where I knew nothing. What would happen to me? Who would I be? It wasn't necessarily that I wanted to reinvent myself into something I already knew I would become. You know how some people do that when they move to Los Angeles to become an entertainer, or maybe they move to New York to work in fashion. I truly had no idea what I would be or become, but I wanted to know. I wanted to see other parts of the world, to get out of the drab suburbia and sheltered culture I grew up in. I wanted to get out of the unrealistic, idealistic, rich suburb of Orange County that I was currently going to school in. And I just wanted to get out of everything I knew in search of something more real, whatever that meant. So. I applied for an education abroad program through the University of California, and I was accepted. I knew I wanted to visit Asia. I had been to South Korea before on a family trip, but the rest of Asia, I knew nothing. Because of SARS outbreaks, China and Hong Kong were totally off limits. Indonesia and the Philippines were not recommended because of terrorist attacks and civil unrest, Singapore, though, was a pretty safe choice, and the population there spoke English, so that was a pretty easy decision to make. Before our departure, we had one orientation meeting where we were briefed about Singaporean culture. The counselor there taught us about the languages Singaporeans speak, because most are multilingual. Chinese, Malays, Indians, and British all live on this small island together. And they have their own separate cultures, but also hybrid ones, and a national culture, too. I thought that's pretty awesome. We were taught not to point with our index fingers, but with our thumbs instead, because apparently the rest of the world thinks it's pretty rude to just point at things with our pointer fingers. They gave us these Textbook responses to common questions they thought we would be asked, like why the American healthcare system is so bad. And all of these answers were very politically correct and boring answers to questions that no one ever asked me. The question that I honestly got asked the most when I was living in Singapore was Does MTV Spring Break really exist? Yeah, seriously. A few months later, 40 students from all over the University of California campuses would meet each other for the first time in Singapore and live as something of a unit for the next six months. I had successfully extracted myself from everything that I knew. I was wide-eyed and ready to learn. Thinking back now, I was so inexperienced and just green. I knew nothing about the world because I had never been forced to exist outside of my comfort zone. I don't know what drove me to do it, but I knew I had to leave California. I knew the comfort zone was a dangerous place that would only bring me a lifetime of unhappiness if I stayed. I think it's the best decision I ever made, even though it totally spiraled out of control later. Singapore is a beautiful place. It's a city inside of a jungle, and greenery is just everywhere. The nature is inescapable. When you're walking around on campus, the tropical grasses and plants grow from every crack and crevice. The air is so humid that as soon as you walk out of the shower, you feel like you need another one. It actually did wonders for my skin, though. You can see with your naked eyes the water rising from the heavy vegetation steaming upwards on a hot day and later in the afternoon the water just comes right back down in short bursts of heavy heavy rain. In the midst of all this is a bustling city filled with shopping malls and office buildings and a public transportation system so well designed that most of the time you don't even have to breathe the outside air to get from one part of town to another. There are so many new and different things to eat. Prior to living in Singapore, I thought that Chinese food was everything that Panda Express had to offer. I learned while living in Singapore that food was just such an incredibly vast and diverse expression of culture, and that even just, specifically, Singaporean Chinese food was so much more nuanced and delicious than what I had broadly just accepted as Chinese food before. And that's only a tiny segment of Chinese food. So I ate. And therefore, learned about the many cultures and subcultures of Singapore. And the ways in which their food, culture, and religion all differed. The Malays were Muslim and ate halal food. And there were different laws pertaining to their people because of their religion. I went to the Indian areas of town and had the most delicious roti and curries. What was so interesting and special about a place like Singapore was that a variety of cultures had come to settle here. And although they retained their cultural heritage for the most part, they were also merging and evolving in a new landscape. Obviously, not without tension, but I found this coexistence to be so beautiful just as it was. The cultures would hybridize with each other and create new ones, and learning about the history of this cultural evolution was a huge eye-opener for me. I had one friend in Singapore, if you could even really call him a friend. I think he just showed me around and hung out with me as an obligation to the guy that I was currently dating. Oh yeah. Part of the reason why I went to Singapore was because of a guy. He didn't live there, but he did come visit me for a few days, and we hastily got engaged. It's a really long story, and that one will have to be for a completely different episode. Back to my friend in Singapore. I didn't really get along with any of the other students from the university system, so I spent most of my time hanging out with this 40-something-year-old Indian, very gay, DJ named Ash who owned a tiny record shop in a shopping mall. I'd go to his record shop where he'd be playing different kinds of music every day and his creative friends would come over to hang out. I met photographers and musicians and I watched as he interacted with passerby who wandered into his shop. Honestly, there weren't a lot of customers. Most of the time, we'd be just hanging out with his new boyfriend or love interest. They all seem like nice guys. We'd go out to eat in threes or fours because that's the best number of people for going out to eat. That means you can get a variety of dishes and share them. He would show me around to the specific stall where you could get the best, say, goat curry or frog leg porridge or stingray. So over whatever dish he was craving that day, he would talk about politics, culture, and everything that was wrong with Singapore and Singaporeans. And I would just listen. Sometimes I talked about the books I had read or my experience with martial arts and whatever insight I might have on that topic. I always loved talking about different philosophies, but mostly I just listened to my friend Ash. He had a lot of life experience, He owned a business, though I could never really figure out how it was still running. I hadn't ever seen anyone buy a record from him, and he was always leaving the shop to go eat or hang out with someone. But he was fascinating to me. He knew so much about Singaporean politics and had so much to say about the government and all the failings of Singaporean society. He taught me how to identify sex workers, and pointed out the ones who had transitioned from man to woman. He showed me how to haggle with local vendors and talk to taxi drivers, and if you were in a neighboring country and had to, he taught me how to bribe cops when they pulled you over. If it wasn't for him, I don't think I ever would have known or even noticed this other side of Southeast Asia. That the university would never show me. Ash was so different from me. He couldn't be more different, but spending all that time with him was, I guess I can only express that as a pretty awesome experience. When I went back to campus, I found that I just couldn't relate with the other 40 students from the universities. It was pretty clear that most of them were studying abroad to party. They were not of legal drinking age in the US, but almost anywhere else in the world drinking was totally legal. So there were lots of group outings to bars, and some students were pretty adamant about going to all the famous bars and trying Singapore's most famous cocktail at all of them, the Singapore Sling. Personally, I find this drink to be disgusting and I think it's mostly some kind of tourist trap, but a lot of the students were really into it. I felt different from everyone else in our group, but not in the same awesome way that I felt different from Ash. At least with Ash, we talked about interesting things and taught each other about our different cultures. He obviously taught me a lot more about Singapore than I could ever teach him about the US, but I'd like to think the relationship wasn't so one-sided So, without many friends on campus, I spent a lot of time writing, drawing, and just walking around alone. I learned then that my identity was not a good match with the other exchange students. And I didn't know how to find people that I actually liked. These were the days before there was a Facebook group for literally everything. So I joined an archery club and a breakdancing meetup group, but it still just wasn't my thing. I hung out a lot with my martial arts teacher, who was originally from the UK, but he had married a Singaporean woman while he was there, and then moved back to Singapore with her later. He was a photographer and, I think, a pretty interesting person. We talked a lot about martial arts philosophy and why that was important to our lives. We went to dinner every Thursday before our training sessions, and occasionally he introduced me to some of his friends who were visiting Singapore. His friends were fancy-speaking British people who talked about the proper ways of doing things, like how to drink your wine or whiskey. I didn't really get it, and I always felt really awkward around them. Once, he invited me over to watch Monty Python because he was just appalled that I had never seen it. I guess it's pretty funny. I believe it was during my time in Singapore that I had a huge mind-shift in the way I thought about myself. Prior to leaving home and everything that was so uncomfortably comfortable, I had my own theories about life and the way it should be lived. But when I left it all behind for someplace new, all of those theories were rigorously tested. What I had read in books just wasn't going to apply anymore. And I had to think on my feet and see what was true for myself. I saw how people lived in all socioeconomic classes, not just the ones I grew up in or read about in books. I saw different cultures as I traveled to the neighboring countries of Malaysia and Indonesia. I realized how naive I was for trying to cross the street as if I was in the United States where we have protected crosswalks and streetlights. I grew as a person, but I also realized, wow, I don't know much at all. So I became hungry for more culture. I wanted to test my limits and find new ways to get out of my comfort zone. There was so much I wanted to do in the world and so much I wanted out of the world, but I had always been too weak and shy to go and get it. I had felt really powerless in the world So I didn't know what to do with myself in the future. And college, what was all of that gonna lead me to? In a lot of ways, as I started to discover what I was capable of and what kind of person I was, my previous perception of my identity was completely shattered. I didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't have anyone to guide me and I didn't have a solid family or friend network that I could really ground myself to. So everything was up in the air. I had uprooted myself, for better or worse, and I was having trouble finding any kind of stability. I started to become anxious. I moved back to the US because I was running out of money and I could only afford to live with my parents again. But I spent most of my time with a new guy I was dating. I dropped out of school, and with no degree, I didn't know what I would do for money. So I took any job I possibly could instead of going back to school. I worked in restaurants, handed out flyers in the street, helped out at my cousin's dental lab, waxed eyebrows, I worked on construction projects, I harvested pot in hidden grow rooms. I spent years living this way, not knowing what to do next, but throwing myself into anything I could get my hands on. It landed me into lots of trouble, too, don't get me wrong. But this is how I gained the life experience I needed to figure myself out. I picked up snowboarding and I rode dirt bikes. It wasn't something I'd choose to do on my own, but being in relationships often gets us to do things we otherwise wouldn't. I got pretty decent at both. I hiked and backpacked, though it wasn't always with the most savory of crowds. Eventually, I went back to school part-time and finished up my degree. By that time, I had changed majors from biology to art with a specialization in graphic design. I could have a creative career after all. I got my first internship at an amazing graphic design studio where I would push my social and professional limits. All of those experiences taught me so much about myself. And without those experiences, I don't think I'd have any idea what I'm capable of or who I am. I think it would have been possible for me to simply go through the motions of life and follow a path without ever wanting or feeling the need to test my truths. I could have just finished school and gone straight into a career. But for some reason, it didn't make me happy. In fact, it made me horrified. How could I choose a path in life without any knowledge of what was out there? I know plenty of people who did go from high school to college and straight into a career and seem perfectly happy, so I'm not saying it's a bad choice. But for some of us, for whatever reason, we are just not satisfied with the path that's laid out in front of us. Curiosity will always get the best of me, because I just have to know. I know others who have that drive too, that drive to really test their own knowledge and system of values to see if they hold up to the real world. After having enough experiences to test myself, I found that the self I learned about through those tests was a kind of knowledge that no one could take away. Though I was continuously learning more, there was a basic knowledge that I had about my capabilities, like how far I was willing to go for love, what I might do in the face of envy, how anxiety could drag me down, and I learned how to navigate it all. This self-knowledge became the core of my true identity. And when my identity became knowledge of self, rather than identification with categories, I felt so free. I didn't care what other designers, women, Asian Americans, or any other box I may have ticked off before was doing anymore. When I responded to questions, I no longer searched for answers that seemed appropriate for my age group or other people who engaged in the same hobbies. I began to answer from deeper parts of my being. I started to rely on my experience and creativity rather than simply what I thought I should say. At that point, No one could tell me what I should say or not say. I couldn't let anyone tell me what kind of life I should live or interpret the events of my life in their favor. I became self-confident and a little harder to mess with. I became wholeheartedly more me. A little bit less sentimental and magical, more honest, more genuinely encouraging, earnest, warm, but also, when needed, cold. In some ways, I felt like I had become something else, like a demon or a machine, but it was working. There's a quote by Lao Tzu that I love. When I let go of what I am, I become what I might be. How tightly do we hold on to the ideas of who we are at this very moment? So much so that we don't allow ourselves to grow. We say that a person like me would never do something like that, even if that may actually be the best choice once you sit down and think about it. We may latch onto a vision of how we want to be, so tightly that we don't allow our true selves to just be. You have to know who you are in order to trust yourself to use the assets you know you have to get you through the day. You also have to be willing to let that person go if your circumstances change and you need to open yourself up to new knowledge or skills. Every time I started learning a new martial art, there was always, at first, a process of letting go of the other ones I had already learned. Because in order to learn the proper way, I had to forget about all my past training and put down any pride I had about having accomplished a certain grade or level and start fresh from the very beginning. Unless you had a heart of a child, a newcomer, you wouldn't learn. And I found this to be completely true. It's hard to understand a completely new philosophy if you're holding on too tightly to what you were previously taught before. And that's not to say that you should just learn things and throw away everything you've learned before. I believe that if you have truly learned and you have truly internalized the core principles of whatever it is that you're learning, those core principles stay with you as truth. They become part of who you are, and those attributes show themselves whenever necessary. You no longer have to consciously deploy them. That's just one beautiful aspect about being human. I believe that to call myself... female artist or an Asian American creative entrepreneur who loves rock climbing is such a shallow understanding of my true self. Sometimes when you're trying to fit into a certain category and to some extent when you first meet new people, you do have to contain your identity in just a few understandable words to give other humans some clues as to who you might be. But. To rely solely on those definitions would be a criminal act against the entirety of your spirit. I see people place so much value on these external characteristics that they just fail to acknowledge that there's a human inside. And that human inside is built of stories and experiences that no one can take away from them. Those experiences have given them knowledge and grit and inspiration. Part of the reason why I created my own business was to celebrate those life-forming experiences. I publish interviews with all kinds of people who love rock climbing, not just pros or the ones that look good on Instagram, everyone. All kinds of climbers with all kinds of stories about how this activity changed their life. On the same note, I say that my business is for climbers, misfits, and lovers. And though this particular podcast doesn't have all that much to do with rock climbing, my business does create artwork that is mostly inspired by rock climbing. But we don't feel like a rock climber every day. We have lives to live and other things to do on most days. We are, above all else, human. The same human being. And... That means that we are something that cannot really be defined so simply in words and sentences. We often find ourselves in spaces of transition, between one identity and another, between past and future. We're misfits, and neither prideful nor ashamed to be so. We simply know that categories don't define us. We're more than that. And most importantly, we are lovers of life, of each other, and of the world. Our very existence is beautiful, and we must live to respect that. So I guess that was a really long way of saying, get out there and have experiences, and learn from the ones you've already had. There is an absolute lifetime of learning out there, and a lifetime of learning already within you, too. If you spend the time to peel back the layers of yourself, and do the inner work of figuring out who you really are, you'll never run out of lessons to learn, and you'll face each new challenge with fresher eyes. Those experiences and subsequent lessons will be unique to you. They will become the core principles that no one can take away from you, the ones that showed you your truest self, no matter how victorious or how ugly. They showed you what you were capable of, at your best and at your lowest, and over time you will come to know yourself not in simple sentences that just consist of some buzzwords, but as a being as infinite and powerful as the one you really are. There's an ancient story about a man named Moses, who was tasked with releasing an enslaved people from their oppressors. He was simply told to go to Egypt and free the slaves, and he wondered, How would I do this? Who would I say these orders came from? How could I possibly explain why I'm doing this? And the being that had commanded Moses to free his people simply said, I am who I am. This story is, you guessed it, from the Bible. And like I've said before, I'm not a religious person, but I grew up in a Christian household, so I know these stories pretty well. I believe that this phrase taps us into something deeply rooted in the core of our humanity. We should know, without a shadow of a doubt, who we are. And that knowledge should drive us to do even the things that we are unsure of or afraid to do. The occupations we have and the people we associate with are just extraneous decorations. But it is a spiritual imperative to just know who we are. And if you don't know what that is, you must find it out. Because if you don't find it, you live a life that is blind. You follow the paths laid out for you already, and you will find yourself consistently unhappy that you haven't found a path that suits you well. You haven't learned how to navigate your own internal terrain, and therefore, you don't know how to find your way out in the world. Finding your true identity is in some ways an end goal of life, but it is also the key to living a fulfilling life. It is both very simple and very complicated like that. When you find it, your life changes and your journey changes from one that is informed by what society tells you is the right way to live to one that suits you just perfectly. One that you are happy to live every single day. I can't tell anyone how to live, or what's best for them. All I can do is share my stories of the things I've lived through. Because I've learned so many lessons from life, and I want to share the logic behind how I derived those lessons, because I think other people might be able to benefit from them. I just think that if you can see how I, a very regular person, could get through these things in life and create meaning from even the bad things, I know that you can too. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Sane Human Being. I'm Leslie, and I'm signing off to go and work on the next episode. (laughs) If you have any comments or suggestions, please find me via email or Instagram and let me know. You can email lesliesamkim at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at Leslie Sam Kim. If you like this podcast, leaving a rating would be so awesome of you. I hope you are all doing your absolute best. Thank you. Goodbye.